We're excited to worship with you here this morning. If you would stand to your feet. Uh, today's an exciting morning. Um, we are a church plant, if you didn't know that. And all of, the Bakken, or all of the Only Believe campuses are opening with this song. So as we say, there is joy in the house of the Lord. We're declaring that over all of the houses of Only Believe. So let's get excited because he is good. Amen. Shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of 
not, Christianity is not a bubble that, that puts you in uh, no trouble, no issues, nothing comes your way. It's not like that. It doesn't remove the problems of life, but what it means is that God's with you in them. And that's when we cry out, God, I need you. I need you today, right here, right now. So how about this? the 
Well, it's good to have you this morning. Um, come on in and we'll keep on with things today. Live streamers, by the way, wherever you're watching, YouTube, Facebook, it's good to have you with us. Go ahead and say hi on there, whatever platform you're on. So tithe and offering, if you have something to give, you can prep that. If you need an offering envelope, there are the chairs in front of you. If not, wave your hand around. One of the ushers will help you out. Also, um, one of the ushers have uh, prayer request cards like these up here. So if you have a prayer request today, go ahead and uh, wave your hand around, fill that out, and uh, we'll put it up here. Uh, as we'll talk in just a couple moments, we are in our 21 days of prayer. So I'll give you more details about that in just a second. But tithe and offering, we appreciate your giving, your faithfulness. Um, but how many know that God himself is faithful? And, and our response and our giving, part of our worship, uh, the scriptures say that the tithe is holy unto the Lord. Um, but the reason we have something to give is because God is faithful. Amen. It's because of his faithfulness that we have something. And, and here's the thing about, here's, the thing about something, things, money, material things, that God made this world in a way first for our provision. Uh, if you notice in the account of creation, man was made after all the stuff was made. Provision was made first, then man was made and put in the provision. So the goodness of God gives man his provision. But we have a tendency to get wrapped up in those kind of things, right? Um, you know, in creation then, after God made all things and put man here, he gave man authority over what he made, didn't he? Yeah. But what, what the problem is, is the stuff that he made that he gave man, those things get out of place in their life. All that stuff should be subservient to man, not over man and captive to it. And one of the things that happens when you are a person of tithe and offering, you're basically saying that money, things, will not control my life. Isn't that right? Got some feedback there. There we go. Thank you. So, so here's the thing. Um, it's easy to think when you give your tithe, tithe 10% of your increase. Man, I could do a lot of things with that 10%. Isn't that right? God can do far and above more because of your obedience than you could if you kept that 10%. What you're saying is when I don't give, that you can do better with your finances than God can do in blessing and wisdom of your finances. That's what you're saying. Because you would rather be in control than let him be in control. Right? God can do far and above because of your obedience and your learning and what he can do in his blessing than you can do if you just kept it for yourself. Now, I'm not, I'm not, listen, I'm not saying it this way in order to get your money. I'm not saying that, but it's a principle of life that when you give God control, he can do more than you can do on your own. Amen? So you think about that in your giving, how you live. 
not just in giving in church, when you're prompted to give when you're outside the church and, and in these moments that you're led by the Spirit and helping somebody or bearing somebody's burden. Look, it's, it's easy to think I need to keep this because of my needs, but a lot of times you're giving as a gateway for God providing for your needs. Amen? All right. I'll, I'll stop on that right there. So let me, let me pray. If you have something to give, you can bring it down to the baskets up here. Lord, we thank you for your provision. We thank you how you go before us in provision. We thank you for your faithfulness. So, Father, I pray as we are people that are learning to be faithful as you are responding to your faithfulness, that you continue to teach us what it means to live by faith and all the things in our life that happen because of that. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, we all say Amen. So if you have something to give, you can bring it down this morning. I do have uh, some announcements, and then we have uh, some things to talk about concerning small groups before we get into the Word today. Don't forget, on January 29th, right after church, for parents that are interested, we're uh, having a presentation by Judy Zerker. I, I thought I saw her this morning. Where are you at, Judy? Where are you hiding at? Oh, she won't even wave her hand. She's back there. Right there she is by the window. Um, she was hiding. I saw she put her head down. This church is way too small to pull that off, so just so you know that, all right? So 29th after church, Judy's giving a presentation on your kids and social media, specifically talking about what it means uh, when you're online, uh, digital footprints and all that different kind of stuff uh, and some of the dangers of social media. Uh, social media is good until it's not, like a lot of things in life, right? So she's going to be talking about that. So if you're interested in staying after, we'll have somebody to watch your kids. There's a sign-up on that back table for that. That way we know how many people are going to be there for that. Also coming up, and I'm excited about this also, uh, February the 17th. It's a Friday night. We have our next installment of Love Your Marriage. So um, it's a night of strengthening our marriages together, talking about marriage. Uh, from 6 to 9 p.m. that night, we'll provide food, we'll provide child care, and all sorts of stuff. Again, there's a sign-up sheet back there for that. All of the campus pastors will be here, and we each have a session uh, talking about just marriage and some things about marriage. So if you're interested in that, again, a sign-up sheet back there for that. Uh, and I, I believe nights like this are important, okay? So we don't get always on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night to talk about specific things like that all the time. So sometimes we take extra time to talk about those things. So love your marriage, February the 17th. That's a good time, so sign up for that. Um, and, and I tell you what, your marriage needs maintenance. Isn't that right? We, how long we've we been married? Almost 29 years. Am I correct? See, see, I'm up on this. We've been married for 29 years. That's that's quite a bit of time. We knew each other what three years before that. So 32 years we've known each other. We still have to work on our marriage. All of our kids are pretty much out of our house. You would think by the time you get there, you have it all figured out. That's not true. We're still working on it. So nights like this are important. So go ahead and sign up back uh, for that. I know that the session we're, we're doing is entitled uh, The Shared Life and what it means to share life in a marriage. So give you an idea of what that's about. Uh, also, two more things, 21 days of prayer. We're uh, eight days into it. We started last Sunday, uh, so January 8th to 28th. I believe that God responds to our prayer, and I believe that we should be people of prayer, and I believe our church should be a church of prayer. I believe that. 
I believe as, the, as kind of the catchphrase or the way we're approaching this is we're saying pray first. The very first response of life to everything you face is to pray. You can do a lot of different things, right? But always pray first because immediately you're reaching out to God and bringing him into your situations. So uh, consecrated time of 21 days of prayer. Uh, we're kind of uh, we're kicking off our year, giving our year to God, not only as a church but as individuals. So I, I hope that you're participating on some level in this. Um, I believe that these are strategic times for our church when we do this. Uh, all of our campuses are in the midst of, of 21 days of prayer. And a lot of churches, by the way, do uh, a beginning of the year 21 days of prayer. So it's not original to us or anything. Um, so if you're interested, back at the back, there's a table. It has a booklet called Pray First, okay? This was put together by a guy named Chris Hodges. A uh, lot of good stuff in here. It's just a resource for you. Also, there's a piece of paper back there that lists out uh, some prayer things for us as a church. So over this 21 days, we're on the same page about some of the things that we're praying about. So you can pick that up in the back. Also, along with that, um, tomorrow night uh, is our church-wide prayer. So we're back in our flow of every Monday night from 6 to 7 right here. We have church-wide prayer. So uh, come on out to that. If you've never been there for it, come on and, and, and join with us on that. And then during this time period of 21 days, Wednesday nights, uh, we're teaching on prayer, but also service is a little bit shorter. We're closing out uh, those nights with some corporate prayer. Okay, so a lot of things happening with 21 days of prayer. So if you have questions, uh, you can see me. And last but not least, I, I hate when announcements are long, but uh, these are things I want to get out to you. So we have uh, small groups in our church, and I believe in small groups because uh, they break down relationships in a way that there's an opportunity for freedom and discussion, and uh, it's another way that God can help us help one another. Uh, so what I want to do is we're kicking off our next semester of small groups in February. So I'm going to have our small group leaders stand up where they're at and kind of tell you when and where they meet. Okay, so we'll just start with Judah because he stood up first. All right, so Judah, Judah leads a... Uh, uh, a group of, of men that gathers together, so time and when and all that kind of stuff. All right, well, we meet here uh, once a month on Fridays, about 7 p.m., so kind of later, but uh, usually up in the room there that goes next above the sanctuary. And uh, we go through a lot of what we go through as men. We share a lot. There's mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, somewhat personal things that are shared and kept within that group. Good. Thank you, Judith. So uh, that's a guy's group. Um, one of our ladies' groups, I sort of uh, have a tag team happening. we got Samara and Tori. Okay, so Samara, if you want to stand up and tell when you guys are meeting and all that business. Yeah, we're meeting the second and fourth Thursday at 7 here, and we're getting ready to start a study on First and Second Samuel. So if you want to learn more about the Bible, this is a good one. It really does. Okay. Thank you. Um, Christine leads also, and by the way, that, that's a ladies' group. Christine's is also a ladies group. Christine, when do you guys meet? We go to the second Monday of the month at 11 a.m. Okay, so that's during the day. Okay, good. You're, you're still in Esther. Okay, good. All right, so that's the group that meets. All right, Bill and Patsy, they're, they're a small group. You guys can stand up. They have what's called Joy Fellowship. So 
uh, kind of tell them about Joy Fellowship and what happens there. You guys are meeting next next Sunday, right, Bill? Next Sunday, you guys have? Okay, yeah, next Sunday, okay. Uh, another of our small groups that we're kicking off, uh, that's actually before church on Sunday mornings at 9.15, also downstairs, uh, there's a small group. They're going to be walking through the book of Proverbs, okay? And there's a sign-up sheet back there for that if you have questions. What, Tom, wave your hand around. There you go. So there's a sign-up sheet for that one back there, by the way. So what we'll do is, if you have interest, uh, instead of me having a sign-up sheet and trying to get your name out to somebody, you saw who they were, you, you heard what might work for you, go ahead and introduce yourself to them. But other than that, that for Sunday morning has a sign-up back there for that. Also, if, if you have homeschool uh, children and you don't know about this, uh, there is a homeschool co-op that meets here every other Friday, right? So if you have questions about that, see Tori and they get together to do some teaching and have some fun. So uh, that's something I think is, is incredible that happens here. So anyhow, different small groups we have going on. Uh, if you have more questions about that, you can see me. And one more thing I promise, then I'm done with this. If you're new with us today or, or you've been with us recently, you've never filled out one of these Connect cards, I'd love for you to fill that out. There's the chair in front of you. Um, and if you fill one of those out and give it to Margo afterwards, she actually got something for you, okay? So uh, you can see her right after church and uh, turn that in. It's just our way of connecting with you, all right? Okay, everybody take a deep breath. All right, we're past all that. That's good. Get your Bibles out. The book of First Timothy and go to chapter number six. We're in a second week of a series uh, that's titled Pursue. In First and Second Timothy, now those two uh, what are called epistles. They're letters of Paul that Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy is sort of a protege of Paul that in the founding of the church in Ephesus, Timothy was left in a leadership role, most likely a pastoral role in the church in Ephesus. So these two letters that we have in our Bible written to Timothy from Paul, uh, they're instructions about, uh, you know, church issues, their encouragement to Timothy in different ways. But if, if you read them, and they're not, they're not long books in the Bible, both of them, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 Timothy chapter 6, both have uh, a list that has the word pursue in it. Now, I've said this a lot. Paul likes to make lists when he writes. Uh, and he does this with the word pursue. So 
he says something like, flee this, in, in both places in, in these books, flee this and then pursue this, and he lists some stuff that we should pursue in our life. Characteristics, qualities, if you will, of Christ-likeness or the Christian life. Now, that word pursue, and, and we'll, we'll read this verse in just a minute here. The word pursue means to follow something in order to catch it. Uh, pursuit is an active word. Pursuit is purposeful. When you pursue something, you have your sight on it, and you want it, right? Uh, so I'll give you some examples of things I think of when I hear the word pursue. Here's another one. Now, this is one my wife, when I start to talk about this, she's going to roll her eyes. I, I know we've been married 29 years. I know this is coming. So not every Tuesday night, but almost every Tuesday night. See, did she just roll her eyes? It just, and she's, oh, you see that? See, I, I knew it. It was coming. There's a television show that I generally catch on the History Channel. I think Candy and I have some words about this, too. Um, it's called The Curse of Oak Island. How many of you have seen that show? Okay. If you don't know what this show is, there's an island up in, where is it, British Columbia, right? That they believe there's a treasure buried there. And for over 200 years, people have been going there to try to find this treasure. As a matter of fact, let me tell you why this is legit. She doesn't believe, that's why she rolls her eyes. <laughs> there was actually a delegation of guys that included one of our presidents, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, that was part of a group that went there to search for this treasure. So they really believe there's a treasure there buried deep within this island and they literally are pursuing this treasure. They have a sight on it. They want it. Listen to me. These guys spend a lot of money going after this treasure. And they find stuff, by the way. Yeah. They do. Okay. So um, they've been pursuing this treasure for 10 seasons now. But that's, that's sort of the thing where we kind of... I tell her when they find it, only I get joy. And the found that they found it, she gets no joy because she doesn't believe it. All right? So... But they spend a lot of time, they spend a lot of money, they plan. I mean, they do all sorts of stuff. If you ever watch this show, man, they are really digging after this thing because they believe in it enough they pursue it. See, Paul is encouraging Timothy, which he probably in turn is encouraging uh, those he's entrusted with in leadership in the church in Ephesus to be serious enough about the things of God to pursue them. You only ever pursue something you really want when it takes effort. Isn't that right? We were talking, I think, last week, and this will come up today. It's kind of like every, every, or a couple weeks ago we were talking about this. Every time we hit the new year, people set goals and New Year's resolutions, because things they want to change and things they want to have, and they begin pursuits of things, often that really don't last. Like, like, like going to the gym is always a New Year's resolution, to eat better, to get healthier, go to the gym and get in shape, and last for about a month, maybe a month and a half, we sort of fall off it. Because ultimately it was a lofty goal, but it never really was an absolute desire that kept driving them after it that we would be people that learn and grow into a place that we desire the things of God enough that we will pursue it with a relentless pursuit. That word pursue in both First and Second Timothy, 
of the Greek carries a connotation of ongoing. In other words, these things that Paul is writing, they're a lifelong pursuit to chase these things, to desire these things in order to have them. So having said that, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 11. It says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Now, this particular context of, of what Paul was writing right before that, he's talking about the issues of money and the love of money and falling into the trap of not being content. So in this context, he's telling Timothy, don't pursue money in those things. But I'll tell you what's better, pursue this. Pursue righteousness. We talked about that last week. Godliness, that's our topic today. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue steadfastness or perseverance. Pursue gentleness. I like this wording here. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, who he is blessed and, and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Again, very dense there, Paul's saying a lot of stuff. But I, I want to kind of go back to something we were talking about last week, re-highlight it before we get into godliness. Remember, the Christian life is learning how to flee what you should flee and to pursue what you per should pursue and to grow in maturity enough to know the difference. See, Elijah, throw, throw this slide up. Remember, flee but also pursue. It's not just the absence of sin, but also the growth of new life. See, at the first service of this year, we said one mark of maturity of the Christian faith is faithfulness. Another mark of maturity is understanding our desires that are not of God and learning to flee them. We must learn to flee not only what is sinful, but what is also not beneficial for us. But here's the thing about fleeing something. I, I think the more you're growing in your Christian faith, you begin to understand sin. You begin to understand things that are not beneficial for your life. How many know what I'm talking about? And we got to learn to turn and flee those things. But the problem is, if you flee something, but it, there's not something growing in its place, you have a tendency to come back to it. So it's not just fleeing from sin, but new life growing in its place. See, when we pursue the things that, like Paul is encouraging us to pursue, when we pursue these things, that encourages growth in your life. So I know I should not do this because it's sin, but 
it's not just it's sin and needs to be out of my life and but what is growing in its place so so later on uh write this down galatians chapter five and everybody knows the fruit of the spirit right love joy peace patience all nine of them so if you look at the list of the fruit of the spirit in galatians chapter five he starts off that sentence again paul writing here says but in other words there's a conjunction it's contrasting something but the fruit of the spirit is he lists them right before the fruit of the spirit paul makes a list of a bunch of sin he's contrasting that sin from the fruit of the spirit you want to stay out of that sin start to grow the fruit it's not just fleeing the sin but something growing in its place that's the christian life and as paul is writing this is a lifelong pursuit it's a lifelong process pursuing as we're going to talk about today godliness you can maybe say christ-likeness maybe holiness some different words that that go together there they, they, they overlap but pursuing god in such a way that i am changing you see it's not the absence of sin only but also the growth of new life that is a big paradigm and you've got to grab a hold of that that's very important to understand okay pursuing godliness let, let me give you a definition here of godliness godliness is the practice of being like god okay now you would probably draw that from the word godliness but it's being like god in perspective how you see things it's being like god in character like the fruit of the spirit it's being like god in action it comes from belief in him, as we'll see in a few moments, and his power unto godliness. So in other words, Elijah, throw the next screen up there. Godliness, if you want to shrink that down, is life shaped and lived in the image of God. That's godliness. It is life shaped and lived in the image of our God. And Paul says, pursue this. Desire it. Take aim on it and chase after it in such a way to grab hold of it. That we become people that des desire to live in a godly way. Now, I know the very first thing, let me just say this for a couple moments. I know the very first thing when you think about godliness you think about sin as we're talking about fleeing sin and, and becoming godly now let me just say something about sin sin is the problem capital t-h-e the problem that's what jesus took care of on the cross sin separates us from god right in our salvation we're forgiven no longer under condemnation shame removed right relationship but here's what we find in the church. Let me just say this, so uh, let me challenge your heart for a second. And I, I talked about this briefly on Wednesday night. I think in the church, we would like people like me, pastors and preachers standing in a pulpit, to really condemn sin that's going on in the world. And we do. And especially whatever the hot topic issues are in society, we specifically want to shout about that stuff. And we should stand strong. But let me challenge you in this. 
How about we start dealing with sin that starts at home? Right here. I, I can stand up here and rail against sin society every single Sunday. Eventually you'll get sick of me doing it. But I'd like to challenge you about you. So we, we can yell and, and rail against sins in society, but if I start talking about sin that's close to your home, your attitude might change. Because it's easy not to have grace for somebody else's sin, but want all the grace in the world for your own sin. It's easy to know the sin of my life and know, but God is working with me. He has some patience and grace with me. But then look at somebody out there and remove all that and say, well, you're, you're stuck, man. You know, how many know what I'm talking about? So we stand firm on all levels, but let's start in the house. And what it learns to flee sin in the house by the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the growth of new things in its place. In then we're a light in the world for those who are lost in sin in society. So, so I, could, I could every week stand up here and just yell and scream about something like homosexuality. I could. But how about we start talking about lust in general? Sexual sin in general? You, how many know I'm talking about? These are all things in together of sin. Let's deal with it in the church in those who say they follow God. Right? Then we can be a light in the world. And understanding how God deals with me in my sin, you realize that how, that's how you're supposed to learn how to deal with people outside in your witness? You know that? that that's part of the growth of who you are. So yes, godliness is about learning to flee from your sin. And, and also, by the way, the word godliness very specifically pushes back against an idea of a shallow Christianity. I heard another preacher uh, say this. I love this phrase. It pushes back against an easy, cheesy, cotton candy Christianity. Shallow Christianity. I mean, a call to godliness is a call to be like God. That's pretty serious. You can't do that in a very shallow way. So, so here's something that, I, that comes up every once in a while. I hear somebody ask a question. Do you really have to be so serious about this Christian thing? Do you really have to be so serious about it? Well, here's what I know. I know that sin is serious. I know the destruction of sin is serious. I also know the business of growing new life is wonderful, but that's also serious because sin is serious. And I also know that, uh, well, eternity is very serious. So do we need to be serious about the Christian stuff? Yeah. But I, I find that question often stems from two things. Not always, but in a general sense, two things. It has to do with effort, and it has to do with fear of failure. Do you really have to be serious about this? Because they're concerned about living effort to live a Christian life. But on the flip side of it, they're often concerned about failing. When you hear a word like godliness, can I, can I really live? What if I fail? What if I fall short? These kind of questions kind of float around. So we're going to talk about those two things in a couple different ways. So... Let's hit another place from 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter number 4. 
understand verse number 7. So staying within the, the works of First and Second Timothy with Paul and godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. In other words, all this stuff of arguments and, and things that, that people want to give up, bring up and discuss, and it turns into all this stuff that really shouldn't be worried about. But rather train, notice that word train, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. That's why it's serious. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For Watch this. For to this end, we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. So command and teach these things. And, and then Paul encourages him, Timothy and his youth not to give up but to keep going. But notice that word, train yourself for godliness. So does that mean there's some effort involved? Absolutely. Now, again, we're not saved by our works, but there's a life that is the outworking of your salvation that you participate with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Train yourself. Like pursuit, there's action. All right, so uh, I attend a, a gym frequently, as much as I have time to go. It's not like deep, I don't know, I'm even sure if it's in the top five priorities of my life, but I go to the gym. And now, I've been, in a way, since the third grade, I've been playing sports, right? All the way through college, I played sports. I'm way long past that. But the idea of working out and doing things was so ingrained in my life, I still do it. It is a way of life. If I don't go to the gym for a couple weeks, I feel like I haven't been there. You know what I'm saying? It's a way of life that has been built into me because of what I've been doing since I've been a kid. When I go to the gym, I don't walk into the gym and go, man, I wonder what I'm going to do tonight. Wow, that machine over there looks fun. Let me go try that. I don't, I don't look, well, it looks a little busy tonight. I'm going home. I mean, when I go to the gym, I have a plan. Unless a machine or, or a workout area is just jammed up, I can't get to it, I know what I'm going to do before I get there. I have an idea of how long I'm going to be there. And I actually, right now, in, in my gym time, I have a rotation of four different workouts that I do. So I do this one, the next time I go, I do this one, the next time I go. There is a purpose and a thought behind what I do. Train yourself to be godly. Why would it be a different way when it comes to godliness? See, to go to the gym, obviously, because I don't have one in my house, I literally got to get in my truck, drive 20, 25 minutes to the YMCA in Wapakoneta, walk in there, check in with my card, and go work out. And, and I'm there, what, hour, hour and a half every time. That is effort planned out. Godliness requires the same sort of thing. See, Christianity is not something you just kind of make up and feel around as you go. But God has given us things to put effort with the working of the Holy Spirit 
to become what God intends you to be. And again, I know, here we go, all the things we say all the time, it's like, okay, 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 prayer, scripture, worship, fasting when impressed to, gathering of the church. Things, listen, things that are called spiritual disciplines. So uh, whenever I have interns or, or uh, young men or young women that feel called to ministry, and, and I always get them a book called The Celebration of Discipline by a guy named Richard Foster and talk about all the, the disciplines of, of spiritual life. And every single one of those kids hates it. They always say, this is the worst book I ever read. It's so boring. There's no life to it. I see, I know, because it's talking about prayer. It talks about fasting. It talks about solitude and silence, what it means to wait before him. All these different things that are things that God has given us in order to connect and to grow. It takes effort. It takes you taking time. Every time I go to the gym, I could be doing something else. Every single time. But the priority of taking time, the priority even beyond that, to listening and when you're con convicted about something, fleeing from it. All of these different things play this big picture working of you participating with the Holy Spirit to train yourself in godliness. Because as Paul writes there, it has value for the life now and also the life to come. So when we say we're not interested in shallow Christianity or easy, cheesy, cotton candy Christianity, it's not just about getting the stuff you want, but doing the things necessary, necessary, necessary to grow, right? Again, this is not a legalistic, uh, uh, I got to turn into a nun or a monk and, and it's all I do for 20 years. It's not that, but it is to practice a healthy rhythm of doing things that help train you to become like God. How many know what I'm talking about? So I work to train myself in godliness. Of all the other things I pursue in my life, I want to be a reflection in a way that my life is shaped by him in such a way that I think I saw this, that maybe Chamberlain sent this out, I stole this. Uh, such a way, sort of like this. If, if I was accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to support it? I like that. I stole that from Chamberlain. I don't see him. So Chamberlain, I stole your stuff. The pursuit of godliness. Yeah, I'm a Christian. If somebody followed you around, would they have that same conclusion of what you say? Would there be evidence to support because your life is being shaped by God in such a way that you live like him? Pursuing godliness. But there's some effort on your part. I think, I think some people, you really have to be that serious about it. Well, yeah, because I've given my life to him. I just don't do life the way I want it anymore. I've given my life to God. Kind of like this. Uh, again, I'll steal something from somebody else. Uh, Pastor Nicole over at the Bachman's campus sent out this message she saw. She thought it was really good. It was good. A guy named Michael Todd was preaching, and, and he, he used the example of this, of a remote control. So here's what happens in our, in our 
marriage, uh, we generally have a tendency to watch the things I like, but she doesn't have a big list of stuff she likes. But I know when she goes to bed, I have the remote control. And I can watch whatever I want, even the Curse of Oak Island on Tuesday night, and it's all good. Because I get to control what I see. Who has the remote control of your life? Do you, do you wrestle with God over it? Or does God have it? And when God has it, you'll start to realize there is a life to live beyond just, well, I believe in God. I believe. But it takes effort on your part to be aware. You Listen, you can't flee from sin and pursue godliness unless there's some awareness of your life of these things. Well, how does that happen? Because of relationship with him. There is a way to be. It's a calling. But, but what about this business of, of the fear of failure? Well, let's look at another verse then. 1 Peter. I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter number 1. And verse number 3. It says, Blessed be to the God. I'm sorry, that's 1 Peter. I better get where I'm supposed to go. There we go. All right. 2 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 3. His divine power, everybody say divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and what? Godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of his divine nature. See that? That we have the opportunity to be partakers of his divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, for this very reason, make every effort, see, effort, to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For these qualities are yours and are in and you can keep reading there. What the great thing about God is this. He calls us, we believe Paul was inspired to write what he wrote, and Peter's inspired to write what he's writing right. These are things we're called to, but as Peter writes then, we achieve them, or we can have them, or they can start to happen in our life because of his divine power. So in other words, you don't have to do this on your own. Because you can't. That's why you can't earn this stuff. It is only through, again, partnering with the power of God through the work of the Holy Spirit that I can even think about a godly life that represents him as I live. But again, the divine power of God that allows us to be partakers of his divine image, his divine character, his divine, uh, just the things of who he is, has to be because I'm doing what's necessary to connect and to allow that power to work in me. That's the effort. But the effort of time connects us to the effort and power of God. 
My connection allows his power. My, myself, I can't do it. It's by his power that my life can change. So if you go back to the fruit of the Spirit thing we were talking about, so there's a list of sin. Well, how about, let's go there. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and, let's see, verse number 9. That's verse number, uh, let's see, where I want to start. Let's go to verse number 17. Galatians 5, 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. In other words, the desires for sin, the spirit within you wars against these things, right? But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now watch this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, faithfulness, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there is no long. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The difference between those two lists in your life is the power of God. See that? That's the difference, not your willpower, not because you make an effort, but because of the power of God. Your effort, when we use the word effort, it is to partner with the power of God through the Holy Spirit to see this in your life. You see that? So we must pursue godliness. Again, is there enough evidence to support the fact that you say you're a Christian? Does your life show it? As, as uh, it's been said, do, do you walk the earth like the pardon of God? Is that your nature? Is that your character? Now, what I know is, when I gave my life to Jesus when I was 17, me at 17 and me at the age I'm at now, there's a big difference. Because of God doing a work in me. Am I there yet? Am I perfect yet? No. It, it's not to beat yourself up with the idea of godliness, but it is to understand the journey and the process of life with God to see these things grow in you. There's a difference there. I know I'm not there yet, but I'm still growing. I'm still connecting. I'm still praying. I'm still spending time with God. Why? So he can do what he wants to do. Amen? So, self-examination that comes with the help of the Holy Spirit. Godliness in your life. Are you growing? Is this a desire of your life? Then pursue. 
and God will do the work that needs to be done. Amen? Amen. All right. How about we stand up? Since it's 21 days of prayer, we're going to close with just a couple moments of, of corporate prayer. It's going to center on our neighborhoods, our towns, our cities, our relationships. We're going to pray for those who need to know Jesus in, ju- in just a moment. What I have here is something kind of cool. Uh, it is a, a list, oh man, I dropped them. There's a list on the front of some scriptures about somebody coming to know God. And on the back, it has a slot for you to write up to 10 names of people that you can pray for consistently. And they're, they're nifty pocket size. You can keep them with you all the time. Anyways, uh, if, I think I have 50 of these here. Um, I'm not sure if we have more than 50 people sitting here. If you would like one, raise your hand up. Okay, Joe and, and uh, uh, Michael hand these out. So take that with you later and fill it out and start praying for somebody that needs to know Jesus, okay? Um, should be part of your prayer life. Prayer, prayer is not to be self-centered, though we do cast our own cares upon God, but prayer should always then at some point turn outward focused, okay? If we run out, I'll have more Wednesday and next Sunday. As we get these out, we'll pray. Okay, let, let's join in prayer. You specifically pray while I'm praying. Let's pray for our communities, our neighborhoods, all these different things that we're connected to as we live our life. Lord, we, we, we come to you this morning, and we pray for those that are around us that need to know you. We pray for the glory of God. We pray in the name of Jesus for salvation for those that we know in our communities that are not saved. We pray that the eyes that have been blinded by the enemy are opened. We pray that the wind of the Holy Spirit, as it says in John 3, moves freely in our communities. We come against the working of the enemy. We will come against any strongholds that are in the way of this. That we see those that we know that we're acquaintance with, family and friends, uh, people we work with, uh, the people that live around us on, on our, in our neighborhoods, Lord. We pray that they come to know you in a very powerful way that produces salvation and long-term discipleship. Lord, I pray also that in this, it's not just the work of the Holy Spirit, that we also are answered to our own prayers, that we're a light for you. In the things that we say and the things that we do, that we're a representative of who you are in our communities. Lord, we pray for revival that starts in our church and, and moves out to the surrounding areas around us a revival of drawing us close to you in your presence, a revival of the forgiveness of sins and the breaking of strongholds. Lord, we, we pray there's a release of the goodness and the work of God in our relationships. So, Father, I, I pray that, that you speak to each one of us very clearly about that and how we can be your representative in those things. Lord, there's an increase of those coming into the church because they've been saved, they come into baptism, they come into fellowship, they come into learning and discipleship, and we thank you for that. So we call for family members, friends, acquaintances, those we work with, 
we call for their salvation. Lord, for those that have wandered from the faith, we call them home. And renew and revival in their heart with you, we call them home. We call the prodigals to come back where the Father runs to them and grabs hold of them. And we thank you for all of the celebrations that are sparked because of it. As those coming into the kingdom, there's a party. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All righty, well, thanks for being here today. If you have one of those Connect cards, bring it to Margo. We'll see you Wednesday night. Have a blessed, blessed.